0: Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. This morning we're going to continue in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles placed around the room. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles. It is our gift to you. You can write your name in it. We want for you to have a Bible, so... First Corinthians in chapter one. Today we're going to be at verse 17, actually through 23, but we're also looking at two one through four as well. One through five. A few weeks ago, we started this series called uh, titled "Saints in Society." And over the few weeks, we've saw an intro to the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is an epistle, which is an occasional letter written to a, uh, either a church or a group of smaller churches that uh, met in Corinth. And the reason why we've titled it Saints in Society is because Paul addresses the saints in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't say to the sinners that are in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't say to those that are... Helpless or hopeless, he says, to the saints, which means set apart, which means holy ones. So that's how Paul addresses the church, the Christians. He calls them saints. It is not a title that we arrive at, that we work toward. It is is a title given by God's grace. So Paul says to the saints, plural, saints, that are in Corinth. And so what we want to look at is what it looks like for saints to live in Eugene, for us to be saints in... uh, our homes for us to be saints in this society that god has placed us in in our workplaces and so we've looked at a few things over the past few weeks we looked at the saints share the same testimony which means that all the saints have the same testimony we, we all share a testimony we all share our testimony sometimes but the ultimate testimony for the saint is actually jesus's testimony in our place so when we share our testimonies it's good to be reminded that we actually have a greater testimony than the one that we've shared it's christ's life lived in our place then we looked at saints share the same story, the story of redemption, the story of the Bible, the story of good news, the story of the gospel, and so we say that we, we all share that, and our job is all storytellers. We share the same story, and, and we're equipped by the Spirit to go and tell the same story to other people, and so um, we've been invited into the story, we've been called in the story, and now we get to go and share the story with others. This morning, we're going to look at this. The saints' comfort and confidence is the cross. That's the, that's the main point this morning, that the saint's comfort and confidence is in the cross. Yesterday I went grocery shopping, and I was grocery shopping with my five-year-old daughter, who's actually sitting in service with us uh, this morning. So, and her, her name is Joey. And uh, inside of Trader Joe's, this is just uh, it's, it's the time of month where uh, people are dressed up, and she's not always all about that. And uh, so there's people in there dressed up like zombies yesterday and stuff like that. And so what she does is she just kind of shuts down. And she's done this in the past whenever we've been in environments where she's freaked out by people in masks or stuff going on is, is she just kind of shuts down. And so uh, I'm sure that Paul David Tripp, who's a counselor and speaks a lot to parenting, probably wouldn't agree with my tactic here or my method, just, just to be clear and up front. Uh, but I've told her before because I'm like, I don't know how to like calm her down or comfort her. But I'm like, your dad can smoke those people okay like push comes to shove your dad can take them out and and so that's not that's not gonna be a great confidence for for the rest of her life but what she's starting to understand what she's actually saying too is is yes but Jesus is stronger than you are I'm like exactly so if, if if you see this level of confidence in dad how much greater is your confidence in Christ and then so she's starting to get that and to understand that which has been a bit of an encouragement but here's the reality for us as christians is our confidence or our level of comfort is who we place our confidence or our comfort in and, and, and so if if you were uh, uh, I'll get flack from hunter on this for using a sports analogy but if, if you are a if <laughs> if you are a a running back in in football and 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 you're getting to run out uh, getting ready to go out and for the next play and, and someone comes on the field, and they're like 75 pounds, and they're like, I'm blocking for you on this one. You're probably like, no confidence, <laughs> right? But if this big giant walks out in front of you and says, I'm blocking for you this time, then you have a different level of confidence. And so what I want us to get at today and what I want us to see is that the cross for the saints is our greatest source of confidence, and it's our greatest source of comfort. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we're reminded this morning of what it is to be a saint. I pray you would take us to our confidence. Right now, Father, I don't feel confident. And I know that where I look for confidence is always my strengths and my abilities or successes or failures. And let those things define me. And I know that I'm sitting amongst a room of people that do the same thing. And so what we say is we need your help and we need your grace. We need your word and we need your cross and the message and the power of the cross to encourage us. Father, I pray that we see and behold Jesus and the cross through the power of your spirit now. in in ways that we haven't or in ways that we have forgotten. Take us back to our source of confidence and our comfort. We declare our need for you and for your spirit to teach us this morning. Open our ears. I know for the parents in the rooms and and for anyone that's just fumbled to get here this morning, our lives are chaotic and a mess, and and the reality is is we are uh, so easily distracted. So I pray that you would uh, focus us right now. Slow us down. Calm us down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 17, we're going to dive right in and go for it. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I'm going to go ahead and read through our verses today and then come back to verse 17. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God we're gonna move past 25 26 and those next few verses there down through 31 and jump down to chapter 2 we're gonna come back to those next week chapter 2 verse 1 says this and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony or." did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So, kind of where Paul starts on this in verse 17, he uh, 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 wraps that thought up down in chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 for Christ did not send me to baptize verse 17 but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power Paul we talked about who Paul was when we introed Corinthians he had plenty of degrees he had a great pedigree he had smart he was a pharisee of pharisees he was a very intelligent man and 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 may have even had the entire old testament memorized he's also the guy who's written 13 letters in our new testament so he wrote a good majority of the books inside of our new testament so what does the guy who 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 has all this uh so-called knowledge and smarts and education and all of that say he says Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power what did Paul flex what were the muscles that Paul flexed he didn't flex his intelligence he didn't flex his degrees he didn't flex all of that stuff that's not where his confidence was at Maybe at one time when Paul was debating Mars sale, maybe he did that stuff, but what he says here in 1 Corinthians, what he says to them and what he reiterates at the beginning of chapter 2 is that he didn't come with lofty words. He didn't come with this big philosophical speech. The, the Corinthians and the Greeks loved that. They attached themselves to philosophers. Paul's saying, I didn't come with all that. I came professing to know jesus christ and him crucified in fact paul says that he came with this fear and with this trembling so oftentimes we want to speak boldly and we want to speak courageously and i know that because i feel that tension every time i get up here but paul says that i just came in a sense fumbling with fear with trembling shaking why because paul wasn't worried about flexing And showing how awesome he was. And that's the tendency that we have. And honestly, it gets even more weird inside of Christianity because then we're given these gifts by God's grace. And we sometimes feel that we need to lead with our gifts and our talents. And that's where we start to put our confidence at. And that's not the case for for what Paul is saying. Why? He's saying, because I don't want the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power. I don't need to come with philosophical speech with big lofty words and all this sort of stuff. You, You know what's crazy? And, and and from someone who loves learning and who loves knowledge, is we, we we can spend so much time, and and I think it's a very good thing. So please hear me out. Going to seminary and getting degrees and getting all this formal theological training, but yet the guy who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, who has plenty of that, comes back and says this: Do all that. That's great, but at the end of the day, this is actually what is going to save and transform people's lives. Nothing else. Go ahead and do that, get the training, get the education, whatever, but just know that at the end of the day, Paul is not saying that if you have a larger vocabulary and if you have more theological training, you are going to be more equipped to be a better disciple-maker and be more effective. He's not saying that. He's actually saying quite the opposite. He's saying the cross of Christ is sufficient enough to do all that needs to be done for disciple-making, for saving and transforming hearts and lives. And do you know what the most common thing that I hear to, from people when they go uh, why I don't uh, uh, share the gospel with other people," is I don't feel like I know enough or I don't feel like I'll say it right or I don't feel this and the reality is is all that we're looking at in that moment is all that we are all that we have and all that we're capable of and we're not actually looking at the power of the cross which actually holds all the power in that moment it's about us and our capabilities and pulsing that's not where the power lies the power doesn't lie with you we're not that awesome The cross of Christ is awesome. That's where he starts off, and he says, I don't want that to be emptied of its power. And here's the thing. Whether my daughter, who's five years old, whether an illiterate person, whether someone in any other language from any other location shares the message of the cross, it has the power to save and transform, not by a preacher on Sunday morning alone, but by anyone who preaches and teaches and shares the message of the cross. It has the power. And so let's start there with even maybe asking some of these questions as we come into service this morning. You don't have to write these down if you don't want, but just maybe reflect on some of these questions. Where is your confidence right now? Where was your confidence coming in here this morning, and where is your comfort? Is your confidence in a relationship or your comfort in a relationship? Is your confidence in if you get a degree, if you have a good GPA? If you finish college, if you get a good career, if you get a spouse, what's going to make you comfortable? What's going to give you confidence? A certain level of knowledge? Is it your attire? Is it what you wear? Is it how you talk? What is it? What is giving you confidence and what's going to give you confidence? Let's look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly. Folly means moronic. That's what it means. It's moronic. It's actually, the Greek word is, is where we get our word moron from. And so, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What's going on? I don't want us to just read over something massive in verse 18. I don't want us to read over it. It says this. Let's read it again more, just a little bit slower and a little bit more carefully. For the wisdom of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is not a Paul slip-up. He doesn't say that the cross is the power to save us. He says the cross is the power for those of us that are being saved by it. You read 1 Corinthians 15, so the book ends, chapter 1 and, and, and almost the end of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. And in chapter 15 he says the gospel in which we have been saved, in which we stand and by which we are being saved. Paul is saying that, look, the cross is not just the thing that gets you into a relationship with God that brings you into Christianity. It's actually the very thing this moment while you're sitting here inside a church, your presence here is not saving you. The cross is what saves you. The cross is what saved you. The cross is what keeps saving you. And the cross is what's going to save you. And so either your confidence is in all of the things that you can do, self-service, volunteering, sacrifice, you name it, or your confidence is in the fact that... That the cross has saved you and it keeps saving you you got to talk about this stuff with your gospel communities you got to talk about this stuff because this changes honestly it changes the way that we approach the gospel the good news and it changes the way that we look at christianity because if the gospel or the cross is just a means that gets us in then we think that what we need to do is spend the rest of the time exploring and talking about other philosophical truths or deeper doctrine and what he's saying no the guy who wrote the majority of the letters in the new testament is saying. I profess to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So what do we talk about? We talk about the cross. What got us in the cross? What keeps us in the cross? What do we keep talking about? What do we keep proclaiming? It's the cross. Paul didn't give us 10 steps. Paul didn't say, preach these 10 steps and this will be awesome. He didn't say, do these things. This is a list for you to do. He said, I'm going to preach the cross because it is the cross that has saved you and it's the cross in which you are being saved. You have to know that. Your confidence this morning is not that one time you look to the cross for it to save you. It's that right now the cross of Jesus Christ is literally saving you. Then he says, it's the power of God. Did you know that only three times in all of Scripture something is accredited to the exact power of God? I think we even have a slide for one. Romans one let Let's look at the three uses. Romans 1 16 says this for I am not ashamed of the gospel now now hear hear me out there's plenty of times where it talks about that God is powerful but it says this is the power of God so read this for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek and then it says right here in 1 Corinthians verse 18 for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who, uh, who are being saved, it is the power of God. The hurricane, the earthquakes, the ocean waves, none of those things are attributed to the power of God. It says that the gospel and the cross, and, and later on in verse 23, it says Christ, that is the power of God. The power of God is shown in his salvation through the preaching of the gospel of what Christ has accomplished through the work of the cross. That is the power of God. And that's what Paul says. That's the power of God. And so yet, we, we can spend a ton of time talking about a lot of stuff that we can do or if, 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 to live your best life now and all of these sorts of things. But at the, at the end of the day, if the cross has the power of God, then why don't we just preach the cross? Why don't we talk about the cross and talk about how the cross brings or, or how the cross speaks to every area of life? Let's look here at these verses. Because what Paul is doing is actually quoting in verse 19 Isaiah. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What's going on? Let's look at this is a quotation from Isaiah 29:14. In Isaiah 29:14 it says therefore behold I will again do wonderful things with this people. With wonder upon wonder. The second word for wonder there is, is a Hebrew word, pele. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the sermon of their discerning men shall be hidden. So, what Paul is doing is Paul is quoting from the book of Isaiah 29, 14. What is the book of Isaiah doing? It's pointing to the future Messiah, the future king, and the future kingdom. So, Paul's going back, which might tell us a little bit something about Paul's audience. It might not be all Gentiles that Paul is talking to because he's quoting some Old Testament passages here, but he's taking them back and saying this. This has been talked about. Isaiah talked about this. This has been talked about for a while. Here's what it is. But in order to understand Isaiah 29.14, we actually need to read Isaiah 9.6, which I think is up there as well, which says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful which is pele so at the toward the beginning of isaiah there's this promise that there's this one who is coming who is wonderful who is pele he's the counselor the mighty god and then in isaiah 29 14 it talks about the wonder upon wonder believe that he's pointing to the promised messiah and he's saying that it's he's 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 going to come the the king is coming and he's going to thwart as Paul would say the discerning and 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 he's going to destroy the wisdom of the wise why because no one was expecting the Messiah to come and do and die in the way that Jesus Christ did it's hard it's 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 a really hard thing to swallow why do you know that we, we can do the same thing? We'll get to this as we see why it's a stumbling block for Jews. We can do the same thing that the Jewish people did, and we do, is we create an image of how we think God should look. And then we serve that image more than how Scripture reveals God. So if we want a warm, fuzzy, cuddly God, we can try our best to create that one. If we want a God that agrees with all of our lifestyles and all of our emotions, we can do our best to create that God, or we can let the word of God in, uh, tell us and teach us who God is and worship that God, the true God. Though these things were revealed, though these things were talked about in Isaiah, and that's what Paul is just simply trying to do take the Corinthians back and say, this, is, this was already all proclaimed a long time ago. This was going to happen. Verse 20 Where is the one who is wise? Rhetorical questions here. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God that the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. These are three rhetorical questions here that actually Paul, again, is, is, is using Isaiah as a model. And, and you don't have to turn there, but uh, in Isaiah 33, 18 isaiah is asking these three questions he says your heart will uh will muse on the tear isaiah goes on to say this where is he who counted where is he who weighed the tribute where is he who counted the towers toward the end of that passage in isaiah it actually talks about the king and the messiah who's coming who's going to save israel so actually what, 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 how we should read verse 20 is this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where are the people? Where are they? We should actually hear it as more of a battle cry because Christ the King has already won. And, and he's saying, hey, the victory's been fought. The victory's been won. Where, where are the debaters? Where are the wise ones? Where are all these people? Isn't Christ the one who fought? Isn't Christ the one who won? we need to see it more as a battle cry because that's what Isaiah is pointing to but here's the problem because it talks about the wisdom of this world if the cross saved you and it's saving you why do we look elsewhere? Just let it sink in if the cross saved you and it's saving you why do we constantly look elsewhere here's here's what I mean Paul spent 18 months in Corinthians think about that 18 months what did Paul say at the beginning of chapter 2 that he did I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified that's so for 18 months, Paul spent amongst the Corinthians and said that I, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. So what was he doing? Just walking around saying, Jesus Christ, I'm crucified. Jesus Christ, I'm crucified. I have a question. Jesus Christ, I'm crucified. What, what was he doing? Like quite literally, we can ask that. He was there for so long and he says that I, 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 I profess to know nothing among you except this. So quite literally, what was he doing? He was showing that... That instead of now that you've been saved and are being saved by the cross, don't switch to philosophical things to speak to all the other areas in life. You're struggling with your marriage. You're struggling with being a parent. You're struggling with your job. You're struggling with life. See how the cross brings to bear on every single one of those things. We need a cross-centered theology. The cross speaks to all these things. Here's what I mean. I'll just give you a few examples. To the married people in the room, you can't say, well, I'm I'm not apologizing. I'm not doing anything until you say sorry first. Because you can't possibly sit at the cross and stare at the cross and meditate on the cross and see a God who died in your place saying, until you say sorry, I'm not finishing this. In fact, he said, I'm going to do it anyways. With the stark reality that there's so many areas in your life you will never apologize to me for. You can't sit at the cross and say, I don't deserve this. For those of you waiting on a job promotion or some sort of recognition in your life, you can't sit at the cross and go, this is not fair. I don't deserve this. I'm not being treated the way that that I deserve to be treated. I'm not getting all the recognition I did. It was the king of the universe sitting on the cross. They spit on him. They ripped out his beard. His message out of his mouth was not, I'm not getting what I deserve. His message was forgive them and give them what they don't deserve. Honestly, we, we, we have this, this isn't fair culture. This isn't, uh, and this is language I use. This isn't fair. This isn't what I deserve. But the reality is every time we say those words, we have this constant reminder of the cross where Jesus did not get what he deserved and where he was actually the true one person in all of human history who was not treated fairly he's the one that has every right to say that how else how else does 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 paul show about the cross speaking to every area of life when we say that i don't like the way i'm being disrespected you know that people walk by the cross to remind the the people and the criminals why they were there and that they deserved everything that they're getting, to spin on them, to yell things at them, and yet we go. I don't like being disrespected. I'm, I'm telling you, I I don't like being disrespected. Who was more disrespected than the King of the Universe? I I don't feel like you're being loving right now. if, if you go to the cross. It's very hard for us to sit at the cross and behold the cross and meditate on the cross. I know this week my heart has been wrecked by all these sorts of things because these are the very things that I do. And it's very hard to, to make those claims if we keep the cross at the center of our minds, the center of our hearts, and the center of our conversations. It squashes. Remember, Paul's talking about division and unity here. Do you know what squashes it? The cross. Why? Because the cross doesn't give you a right to puff up or boast or be proud. It actually squashes all of that and says that's what we all deserve our marriage and our relationship the cross speaks to all these things it speaks to all of life what we should do is not abandon the cross but in our groups and in our conversations talk about how the cross and the gospel speaks to every single area of life why because it is literally the power of god if you want to change and transform these things do it with the gospel not 10 steps not you do this the gospel the cross that's what that's what the word of god is saying that's where the power is at so why do we abandon it and move on from it as tim keller says the the cross the gospel is not the a to uh, the abs are the a through c of christianity or the abcs of christianity it's the a to z i believe that Where are we looking for confidence in our marriages, relationships, the brokenness of our life? Where do we look for comfort? I'm just going to be honest with you guys this morning. As we look at this, the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of God, the world, verse 21, did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly what we preach to save those who believe. How does the cross bring confidence and comfort to us through everything that we're going through in life? I'll say this. Is where I connect my six where where I put my confidence. I'm figuring out how to say it, I'm just gonna say it. Okay. Where I put my confidence is is in the success of the church where I put my confidence is in the success of a pastor where I put my confidence is at is is, is 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 in the success of so many things and even this week I've realized that that's where my confidence has been and it's 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 exhausting and we put our confidence in so many things the reason why the cross speaks to confidence The reason why the cross is confidence and why why, why it brings me comfort is this. I stand up here today as someone who struggles with anxiety, as someone who struggles with depression, someone who struggles with chronic pain. I stand up here as someone today who takes medication for those things and go should I be standing up here preaching the Word of God that's the honest reality should I do that and why am I struggling why do I feel this way God like how come this how come I can't fix this how come I can't get rid of this and and we we prayed for people this morning and there was prayer request after prayer request and to be honest it felt daunting like there's so many people in our church community that have someone who who has cancer that are just hurting that are grieving and my heart grieves for you guys but i'm looking at this list i'm like my goodness do you know what the cross of christ actually does it actually provides confidence and comfort for whatever you're going through in life and here's why penal substitutionary atonement big word big theological word here's what it means that christ bore all the penalty for my sins in my place that i deserve i never in the midst of my brokenness or in the midst of my discomfort or what I'm going through in life, have to think that God is somehow punishing me for my sin because I know for a fact that God punished Christ for my sin. The greatest comfort for me as a pastor, the greatest comfort for me and the greatest confidence that I have is that Christ finished it all, that Christ paid it all, that Christ did it all. And here's the thing, if Christ can bring this beautiful, or if, if God can bring beauty out of such a mess, then what gives me comfort is to know that, that God brought beauty out of this biggest atrocity in human history. Then God can use what's going on in my life for His glory and for my good. And He has a plan for it. He has a purpose for it. It's not just meaningless. What I'm going through, what I'm suffering, the same thing all of you guys are. It's not just some aimless, purposeless stuff but God actually is in control of everything that's going on and he was in control of the cross he's in control of our lives 22 for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God Why is it? Why is the cross a stumbling block to Jews? I'll move through this fairly quickly. Talk about it in your groups more. It'll be a great time to stump your leaders. Um, Jews weren't speculative, so uh, they're they're not gray. Uh, in, 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 in their thought process. They're very black and white. They take the Word of God, the Hebrew Bible, literally. So they're not sitting here thinking about all these theories and relativism as, Is this, is this truth? Could this be truth? Do we know this? Do we not know this? That's just not how they thought. Right? And so they weren't questioning that. What, what they wanted to see is they wanted to see signs that prove that this was the Messiah, the one who was coming in to take over Rome and set up His kingdom. So that's, that's why... For Jews, it was a stumbling block. They wanted to see signs, but here's the big, 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 big reason why the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews before we get mad at them. Let's understand this. It actually comes from them trying to take the Word of God seriously. Justin Martyr was in a debate with, uh, um, with a rabbi and he was trying to use the book of Daniel to give proof that Jesus was, his, uh, uh, was the Messiah and the rabbi says, your Christ, your Messiah, He's without glory and honor. Why Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three? I think there's a slide. This is in uh, Old Testament. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hangman is cursed by God, cursed. Your Messiah is says by the word that it's he's cursed. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Christ was cursed. He became cursed for our transgressions. He became cursed for what we've done. So, this was a huge stumbling block for the Jewish people. And so, for the Greeks, it was folly. Why? Because the Gentiles looked down on uneducated people, they looked down on Jesus, who was poor and didn't come up through the ranks. Knowledge, according to them, was something you could acquire and obtain and work for. Imagine the cross. You're talking about some poor, uneducated man who rises up and we're just supposed to believe and put our faith in that? There's nothing in that for us. We can't work for that. We can't obtain it. We can't gain it. How will we take any credit for that? We're all about the things that we can work for and gain. So to the Jews and to the Gentiles, announcing that the cross is good news would have been like saying, hey, the gas chamber is good news. Hey, the electric chair, that's that's good news because there's this cross that is so vile and dirty and gross that that's for the criminals that's cursed it would have been like good news you lost all your vacation good news the stock market crashed it made no sense for them for everything that they thought but for those that are being saved for those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus what do we do look at the cross and go that's amazing but let's talk about the cross for those of you that maybe are a little bit unfamiliar with it and what exactly happened there first you were flogged so you were likely beat with a cattle nine tail so it's this whip with nine tails on it that, that had uh, uh, like pieces of metal and steel and bones attached to it, so it would tenderize your back, and then the bones were actually used to rip the flesh off of your back. So it, it would, it would uh, cause a lot of shock, cause a lot of bleeding, and actually some people just died from that. So that's where it would start. 39 of those. And then it, as you carried your cross beam up the hill, large nails were driven through your wrist. But, but then you were lifted before your feet, before, nails were, before a nail was driven through your feet, so your shoulders would have likely dislocated from being hoisted up. And for Jesus, he had a thorn of crowns on top of his head that would have caused bleeding into the eyes. What actually happens on the cross is it's, you are suffocating. And so what you need to do in order to get your breath back is you have to push with your feet And lift as best as you can with your wrist to lift your lungs back up so you can get a breath of air. Why? Because your organs are shutting down from a lack of oxygen. But as you do that, the nails that are driven through your wrist and through your feet are on the nerves ending. So there's this excruciating pain as you do that and as you are suffocating to death. What else happens is since you are depleted from water and nutrition, as you are pushing with your quads, is severe cramping happen. But there's nothing you can do about it. Meanwhile, everyone is walking by reminding you that you're just getting the very thing that you deserve. The cross was vile and something that was only given to the worst and the dirtiest and the most horrific of criminals. Yet Jesus endured it because on the cross, he became the most vile, dirty, and gross of all criminals. He became what we are, sinners, and made us what we are not, saints. This message made no sense for people back then. And maybe you're in that boat today. And so let, l- let me say this with what the wisdom of the world is and what Paul is talking about there in verse 20. I'm not going to pile up evidence why you should believe in the cross and maybe that's what you want and maybe if 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 you you said if like the ceiling parted in here and something happened then i would believe but the reality is people saw miracles we can pile up evidence but here's the evidence that i will give you that deep down inside of us i think that we know that there's something that's wrong with us and here's the reason why go to a local bookstore and look at the look at the section self-help it's i mean it is stacked There's book upon book there about helping yourself. Here's the problem. The problem is with self, but self cannot help itself with the problem. Our problem is not that there's something out there in this world. The problem is is that we are sinners. Our greatest problem is that we have sinned against the Holy God. We can't help ourselves from our greatest need. We can't rescue ourselves. Rick needs more rescuing from Rick than he does anyone else. And here's the thing. People are like, I'm going to do some self-help books because I need to love myself. No. You need to be loved by the person who created you, God. And you can't do that by yourself you have to have Jesus and here's the thing every person in this room is saved by works every person in this room is saved by works period you're either saved by your faith in the works of Jesus Christ or you're saved by your own attempts and your own works to try to help and save and fix yourself which is impossible that's one way the other one is emotions in eugene the wisdom of the world's emotion just do what feels good and what you love that's dumb d u m dumb I know how to spell dumb. That's the whole purpose, just to just to clarify. I've spelt words wrong from or I've spelt words wrong from over here before. So it's dumb. Here's the reason why. Hitler did what he felt was best to wipe out the Jews from the face of the earth. That was an emotional thing. He felt it was right. If we chase what we feel is right, like our society tells us, and follow our emotions, I'll say this, that is going to take us rogue real fast. And But here's the, here, here, here's the thing, is my confidence and my comfort cannot, listen, please, for me on this, my confidence and my comfort cannot be in my emotions. My emotions, are, I'm telling you, are like a roller coaster. They are up and down, they are everywhere, they are not grounded. And if I put my confidence or my comfort in how I'm feeling and let that be the basis of my faith instead of a historical true event that happened called the cross of Christ I'll be on very shaky and insecure ground let me just say this in closing I have a lot more to say I need to wrap up so Christ is the power of God the cross is our comfort and it's our comfort so let me say this My confidence, my great confidence is not in my struggle against sin that I still have. It's not in my best day of victory where I'm going, yes, I did good. Or it's not my worst day of defeat where I'm like, oh, I did it again. My confidence and my comfort is not in my works. My confidence and my comfort is in this. It's in Christ's work. It's in the fact I'll never be abandoned. I'll never be forsaken. No matter what I'm going through or what I'm feeling, no matter the suffering in my life, the same God holds me. And every detail of my life, the same God that holds that is the same God that orchestrated the beauty that came through the cross. Our response is this, that we strive to see one another in GCC and inside of the church as God sees us. God never looks at us apart from the cross. We should strive to see one another that way. Number two, our city that we live in needs this great confidence and needs this great comfort. It doesn't have it. We can just leave here and go to what makes us comfortable, but if we look at the discomfort of the cross, I hope that it makes us step into our city, into the downtown area, and go and build relationships with people and tell them of the great confidence and great comfort that there is in the cross. Fumble over it. Mess it up. Stutter your entire way through it and watch the Holy Spirit and what God says that he will faithfully do. Number three, do you know what the cross does? It shows you how far God is willing to go to save you when we look at how vile and gross it is, but it shows you how serious sin is. The cross gives me trust to say that if Jesus went through that, then he was delivering me from a cruel master, and he is a better one. Let's pray. Father, simply, I pray it's to the cross we cling and nothing else that we bring. Amen.